Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, here we go. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. C Spire text line, as you know by now, is open to you. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do so. 601-879-4395. That's uh, the best way for you to join us and be a part of the conversation. Guys, what's up? Oh, just the Saints without their top three wide receivers again this week. The news just broke, so I'm feeling good for Sunday. Well, they just kind of keep winning ugly, though, don't they? Yeah, apparently so. I mean, they need to sure up things in the secondary. But the thing is, Marquez Callaway's been the guy since Thomas and Sanders have been out that's really stepped up, and now he's out this week. So if you are one of those people that has Alvin Kamara on your fantasy team, and for some reason, which you're insane if you have to ask this question, but if for some reason you are deciding whether or not to play him this week, go ahead and play him. Seems like he's going to be the guy that probably gets the most touches and has a chance to put up some good fantasy numbers. Yeah, just a little bit. Hey, Dad, uh, what's up with uh, with you on a Friday? Uh-oh. Not a whole lot, uh, you know. There we, we go. We got it, we got it, we got it. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody left Starkville today, to my knowledge. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure some people did, but nobody that I have to report on. So that's a good day. <laughs> it's like the uh, uh, the exception rather than the norm lately. Yeah, yeah, for this week especially. So, yeah, Borky, if we got my levels fixed, is everything better now? I, I think we're okay. It was just really hot. It's like you were uh, not only like in in the room with me, but like in my head too. It was amazing. Yeah, well, it's the spirit live, of cross. Right? Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to you uh, live from the uh, hotel room in Nashville. Although not downtown Nashville, out by the airport. Uh, this is, I mean, I guess it's convenient, and that's uh, why Ole Miss uh, picks this spot to stay. Uh, I guess they fly in and uh, close to the airport and do it, but uh, not not exactly the bright lights of downtown. It would have been a better hotel, but Kiffin's already cost the university 125k. They just can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where they've stayed in the past, also. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, uh, direct correlation. Well, you don't want there. your football team crashing a bachelorette party down on Broadway. It's so true. true. Could, could you imagine? <laughs> I, I'm not saying he's this kind of kid. I don't know anything about him, but could you imagine, like, Lane Kiffin waking up on a Saturday morning, he pulls up Twitter, and there's Matt Corral on a petty tavern with a bunch of a bunch of 23 year old girls. <laughs> as long as it's not one of those where you have to uh, pedal to make it go. Uh, you know, you yeah. don't want you don't want to burn your legs yeah, up legs. That's the, the night before a game. Could you, I, I'm just saying that that Chad Kelly would definitely do it. 
Uh, maybe. You ever been on one of those things? I haven't, but the, the concept of it is so stupid to me. If I'm you've not been to Nashville, to drink. Exactly. If you've been to Nashville, you've seen. I mean, it, if you're walking on Broadway, that's all the traffic is. It's just bachelorette parties on either like a party bus, obnoxiously yelling, or on one of these pedal taverns. I never in my life would have imagined, you know, what I could really use while I'm enjoying this beer? Exercise. So let's combine the two. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I guess it's a, uh, a cottage industry, though, that uh, has kind of carved its uh, niche out. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if they're, if they're as much as you, uh, you see... Or, or as you say, you see them, Borky, then uh, maybe they're working. Somebody's making we're, money we're on it. We're going to announce oh, a partnership is. later today between Jack Daniels and Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. They so do have those uh, those beer stronger. runs, don't they? Where where people run a 5K, and, and after every <laughs> after each mile, you have to finish a beer before you continue. And the last, what is it, two or one quarter of a mile, whatever, point two one or whatever a 5k is i don't know i don't run very much um and when you do you fall down and hurt yourself seriously so, so you know maybe it's ah. best for me but people are just like you're doing that it all sober, up on Borky, the sides. You don't, by god don't drink and run hey they're paving the streets in my neighborhood this week so i i'm gonna be much safer just stay just, inside until the trucks get out of there yeah i was gonna say stay away from the uh the asphalt zamboni i don't know what those are actually called but if that's not what they're called that's you know the 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 deal with rollers, the yeah. yeah, they've got the rollers, the the big wheels on them, and they just kind of flatten it all down and smooth it all out. Uh, asphalt Zamboni is what that should be. Uh, I like that. Yeah, referred Mark, to in uh, in perpetuity going forward. So pretty big news in the college foot football world, not as it pertains to Mississippi or even as it pertains to the SEC. Uh, I guess this is the highest profile COVID positive in college football. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence announced uh, yesterday that he had tested positive for COVID-19 and will be inactive for this weekend's game against Boston College. Uh, perhaps the uh, the bigger issue is how quickly he is going to be able to return uh, with no disrespect intended to Boston College, but uh, immediately people are jumping to, yeah, will he, will he be available next week? against uh, Notre Dame. Dan Radakovich is the athletics director at Clemson. He told CBS Sports that Lawrence tested negative for COVID-19 on Sunday with ACC protocols requiring teams to test three times during game week, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. was the Wednesday test when the result came back, and uh, Lawrence made that announcement on Thursday. Uh, he is experiencing relatively mild symptoms Unconfirmed at this time when those symptoms began for Trevor Lawrence and coupled with ACC isolation protocols, it appears possible, possible, that he could be cleared for play against Notre Dame on uh, Saturday, November 7th. So that is a week from tomorrow. Uh, According to CDC guidelines, a student athlete who tests positive for COVID-19 shall be isolated for at least 10 days from the onset of symptoms or positive test, and at least one day has passed since recovery defined as resolution of blah, 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 blah. You know all that now. Ten days is the quarantine time. So if he had symptoms prior to Wednesday, I mean, you would think that somebody would say he had symptoms prior to Wednesday, maybe 
Tuesday and then got the test result back. You go 10 days. He could theoretically be ready to go for uh, for Notre Dame, right? He could, in theory. You'd wonder about you know having to isolate and not practice and stuff like that, what kind of shape he'd be in. And I mean, I know he loves his school and he loves his Good coach. Good enough to play and... against Notre Dame, I would think. Yeah. yeah, I think he'll be fine. But I, I he wonder knows if the offense doesn't need the reps. Wouldn't you consider though, if I haven't been able to physically do anything for ten days, and oh by the way, if I finish this season healthy, I'm a multimillionaire. So maybe I'll take this week off too and get back in a game shape for the week after, kind of situation. Because if I'm yeah. his agent, and you know Trevor Lawrence has somebody that's serving as an agent, I'm telling him you do not play after sitting out for 10 days no young man you don't do that maybe he defies that but if i'm his agent that's what i'm telling him so you are you're saying that you would tell trevor lawrence not to play against notre dame that yes if i if i was looking well you know agents are, are not looking out for the best interests of their player exclusively but if i was somebody involved in his thought process i would say if you're not allowed to practice for 10 straight days and then you got to wake up and play a game. Don't do that. Play the next week. That would be my advice. I would give to him. Well, and he's showing I, symptoms too. So who knows if he's actually? Because that's the the next layer to this deal is Lawrence is uh, one of the unfortunate, very, very, very few in his age bracket that actually have symptoms from this thing. He said they're mild, but they exist. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I get what you're saying because you don't want him to go out and, and be bad. But, I mean, short of being in a casket or being paralyzed, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in the draft. And a single performance against a team like Notre Dame that is top five, even if it's maybe a little bit below his standard, it's not going to affect his draft stock. An injury could. I suppose. I mean, tear your ACL, and if you're the New York Jets, well, you've got this kid going through rehab or Justin Fields. You know, I don't know. And maybe I'm overthinking that, but I'm fascinated to see the next guy. See, I don't think this is going to – this is obviously big news because it's Trevor Lawrence, right? National championship winning, has the highest winning percentage of a quarterback with his amount of starts in college football history. I mean, he's Trevor Lawrence. Number one pick as long as he shows up healthy. So, of course, it's a big story. I think after, I think I got his name correctly, by the way, DJ Uyagalele. Correct. Okay. After two weeks that of, video. of him, I think we're, we're going to learn that this isn't that big of a story. Not that he's going to overtake Lawrence's job, but that this kid's the next Trevor Lawrence elite-level star, and they'll be fine even against Notre Dame without Lawrence. You know how all the time you hear coaches say, "Ah, oh, we don't worry about stars. We're just we're going out and evaluating the best player." This quote from the athletic director at Clemson tells you how they think about stars. Dan Radakovich, we're going to put a junior five star on the bench and we're going to play a freshman five star. That's what the athletics director said. <laughs> stars don't matter. Yeah, right. Of course they matter. Sports Talk Mississippi. Just getting started with you. Friday afternoon. Little fight song Friday for you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. What's coming up with you this afternoon? Well, Luke 
Johnson will join us in a little while on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll talk some Southern Miss with him and also a little high school football. Bruce Marshall will stop in for his weekly visit. Bruce from the Gold Sheet texted with Bruce some earlier in the week. Always uh, look forward to uh, those conversations. That's to begin the 4 o'clock hour. And uh, for the last half of the 4 o'clock hour, Will East and Stephen Gagliano will join us, and we will talk high school football in the state of Mississippi. We'll do our picks in the 5 o'clock hour. Borky will ask two questions. I have no idea what the questions are going to be, but he's going to ask us two questions. Mystery of all mysteries. I've got a spicy pick for you coming, too, by the way. Oh, do you? I do. Saucy. Hey, Dad, you got your quarter handy? I certainly do, but I don't think I'm going to need it this week. I feel good. Okay. <laughs> really? You know how there's the season has gone there, for you? There's not one that I don't, I'm looking at going, I don't know which way I want to go. I'll put it that way. Okay. Well, that's uh, that certainly is fair. Looking at the uh, the games this weekend in the uh, in the SEC, let's just talk a little bit about uh, about what we're going to see, about what could be interesting as we uh, we roll through the weekend. It's a busy night slate. You, you, I, we were walking through what the top twenty five schedule earlier this week, and it was like, holy cow! Look at all the games involving a, a team, at least one team ranked in the top twenty five. At 11 a.m. you got Clemson and Boston College at 11. That's on ABC. Georgia-Kentucky at 11 on SEC Network. Memphis and Cincinnati at 11 on ESPN. Michigan State-Michigan at 11 on Fox. Uh, Kansas State-West Virginia is at 11 on ESPN2. Coastal Carolina is on ESPNU. They're ranked 20th in the country undefeated. Iowa State-Kansas, that's also at 11. But it's a bigger slate of SEC games this week that is happening at night. So you have, uh, what, Three night games. Mississippi State and Alabama is at 6. Arkansas, Texas A&M is at 6.30. And Missouri and Florida comes your way at uh, 6.30 as well. So let's just kind of do these in order. We're not necessarily making picks yet, but is there anything interesting about Georgia going to Kentucky? Georgia sitting there at 3-1. and one. When we last saw them, they were losing to Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Kentucky is 2-3. and three. And the offensive issues for Kentucky are well-documented at this point. But I felt like last week was a new low for offensive um, ineptness. Even to the point that Terry Wilson has now been benched. And Joey Gatewood, the transfer from Auburn, who was ruled eligible, what, right as the season began, is, uh, is now the starter for the Wildcats. One of those couldn't possibly be worth, uh, worse scenarios, I imagine, unless they maybe move a slot receiver over. That might give them some success. But um, if you're looking for anything interesting in this game, I think it's the quarterback position at Georgia. Because okay. most, most people believe that they're still, and look, they're the number five team in the country. They're absolutely still in position to fight for a playoff berth. That, that is still within their grasp, even though Alabama kind of embarrassed them in Tuscaloosa, at least in the second half. Kentucky's good enough defensively to give Georgia fits, and if that happens, do they consider making a change at quarterback? Because Stetson Bennett kind of finally showed us why he, going into the season, was a fourth-string walk-on and not a starter for the number 5 team in the country. So do they consider making a change if he struggles at some point in this game? Because Kentucky is good enough to give them some trouble. And I don't think you're winning a national championship with Bennett. And maybe he's the best they got, and that's just what they have to live with. But 
That's something that I'm keeping an eye on. Do they make a change if they struggle early? I don't know if you, I, I, if you said it, I missed it, but isn't Terry Wilson out for this one? Is it because he's hurt? I, I believe he's injured. I think Joey Gatewood's getting the start. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I did say that Joey Gatewood was getting the start. I didn't realize it was because of an injury. I thought it was just he had been so bad no, that I they think, finally... No, I think it's an injury thing. So, okay. So, yeah, I mean, with Gatewood, this is a guy who, who got signed by Auburn, and, you know, they, they had really high expectations for him. And then he, you know, nothing panned out there, and then he goes to Kentucky. The limited time he's played, he hasn't shown very much. I mean, to answer your overwhelming question, no, there's not a whole lot going on here for me. I think Georgia's going to pound them. Even like Borky said, you know, I, I think Kentucky is pretty good defensively, but Georgia is good enough to to, to do, make things work, and that, that they won't have to put a lot of pressure on Bennett to do anything. So I don't I don't foresee anything coming out of this game. Um, LSU and Auburn. We haven't talked a lot about this game. LSU's been favored all week. They have been a what three point favorite. It's actually gone down to two. The total is 63-and-a-half. Bo Nix, I'm fascinated by Bo Nix. We've talked about him a lot this year. Oh, I'm impressed with Bo Nix, or I'm not impressed with Bo Nix, or Bo Nix can do this or can't do that. Tell you what I saw of Bo Nix last week. I saw a quarterback that did well everything that he was asked to do. But he wasn't asked to do much of anything in that game. He had one ball. The uh, the, the touchdown that was caught down around the five yard or down around the, the goal line. That you watched the throw. He was rolling to his right, and he just let it fly. And you had two Ole Miss DBs in the area, and it's one of those that hung in the air long enough. You thought that's that's going to be picked. That's got to be picked. And you start looking, you're like, how does nobody have an angle on that? Go intercept it. And then I I can't remember if it was Seth Williams or, or somebody else that went up high and, and caught the ball. And you thought, oh, yeah, pretty good play by the, the receiver. Wasn't a great throw, but it was effective. And then he makes the back shoulder throw on the, the drive that ended up being the game winner for Auburn, which was a good throw, but it shouldn't have gone 70 yards for a touchdown or 50 yards or whatever the length was. Aside from those two, Auburn didn't ask Bo Nix to do a lot. Didn't have to. One of the things that they asked him to do well was pull the ball a couple of times and run it. I think that's probably going to be an important part of their offense going forward. But isn't Bo Nix going to have to do more against LSU this week than he did against Ole Miss last week or maybe than he's done at any point this year? Like maybe go out and win a game and really make some plays as opposed to just kind of managing it and functioning within the confines of the offense? I don't know if he can do that. I don't know that he's got the ability to do that. Based on what, though, hey, Dad? I mean, he's pretty athletic. He makes plays with his feet. He's got a a, a plenty big arm. Yeah, but, I mean, has he ever just completely wowed you? Have you ever just watched him and go, that guy's the next great big thing in college football? No. I mean, I I think he's an average to... On some days, above-average college quarterback. He's certainly hamstrung by his offensive coordinator. Um, 
You know, the, their offensive line is terrible, so it really doesn't really matter how good he is. No, I don't, I don't see that being the case for me. Borky, what were you going to say a second ago about Bo Nix? Uh, oh, I, I mean, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot against Ole Miss because they didn't really have to. Yeah, um, that's fair. And, and Ole Miss has a, a real problem. Uh, pulling and running the football, if they were just disciplined, and multiple times ends crashed down on the dive and just gave a perfect opportunity when they lost contain. That's a problem they've had all year. But yeah. that that's the kind of way that I expected them to use him all along. And it's almost like, to your point, they don't run him all that often. And that's really where his strength should be. And that's, if you go back seven years now to Nick Marshall's time at Auburn, that was when Gus Malzahn was at his best, when he when he had a guy that ran the football from that spot. And Marshall, to his credit, was a good passer. Not a great one, but he was good. That's what Bo Nix could be. They just don't use him that way, That it, at least to that degree. And that's when Auburn, under Gus, was at their best. Yeah. You know, you, you, you mentioned kind of the ends pinching down for, for Ole Miss and leaving that outside lane wide open. Uh, Harry Harrison's my buddy. He's the, the color, color analyst on the Ole Miss Radio Network. I am so sick and tired of hearing Harry talk about Ole Miss needing to set the edge. But you know what? He'd quit talking about it if they just would at some yeah. point do it. At some point. <laughs> they haven't done it against anybody. They, they, yeah, and and I, I don't know if that's what's being taught, if they're just not talented enough to not be able to do that, but Everybody that Ole Miss has played this year has had success running the football outside. Ole Miss's defensive line and linebackers have been pretty good stopping the run when it comes up the middle. They've been okay there. Occasional laps. But teams have consistently been able to get to the outside. I am fascinated, though. Tank Bigsby is really, really good. And if you go back and you watch that South Carolina LSU game from last week. Yes, LSU won it by, what, four touchdowns when it was all said and done. But South Carolina missed three field goals in the game. They couldn't finish drives. But between the 20s, they gashed LSU's defense on the ground. Talk about the LSU perspective of this game when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just in case you don't hear enough of that tomorrow, hey, Dad, want to go ahead and get it out there for you today. I'm planning to hear it more than once, so I'll tell you that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. First time today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour in Hattiesburg and Laurel on Supertalk joins us uh, right now. Luke, what's up? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, guys! And uh, we heard that fight song quite a lot. I played Bama five uh, five years in a row. And I tell you what, during practice all week, Coach Bauer would blare that fight song from the beginning of practice to the end of practice. I got the whole thing memorized, note by note. Yep. You, do you know the words? Uh, like the first two or three words, but I, I would. Well, the first two I, or three I, are "Yay Alabama." I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a not a lot to know right there. Uh, hey, we'll we'll talk Southern Miss in a second, but give me this story. So, so you were going to be calling a high school game tonight, and now it is not happening. But there's a little bit of a wrinkle. Yeah, interesting wrinkle. So, West Jones—that's my alma mater, and of course, they're here in Jones County. And 
we we cover a Jones County game a week on Super Talk Laurel. So they were supposed to play in late September, and West Jones went on a two week quarantine. And because of that, um, they worked out an agreement with the two teams they were playing, South Jones and Brookhaven, and moved them to the end of the season. And part of that is because the JPS schools, you know, opted out and they were in the in the region. So West Jones moved the game later on. Well, there was an agreement in place. South Jones didn't make West Jones forfeit in September, even though it was their right to. But the agreement was when the when the the October date, the makeup date came around. No matter uh, who was in COVID, if something was shut down because of quarantine, that West Jones would have to quarantine. Well, South Jones came down with COVID last week, and so South Jones gets a, a, a easy forfeit win from a cross county rival that hadn't beaten in quite a while, and West Jones probably. Top two or three team five A has the forfeit tonight, even though they're healthy to play. It's just twenty twenty. I guess that makes sense. So, so if if South if South Jones was good enough to say, yeah, we'll try and reschedule the game, but we're not going to let this harm us if for some reason it can't be played the next time around. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you're going to have to just strange. In September, you're going to have to forfeit, so you at least roll the dice and get a 50-50 shot, you know, to, to reset and play. So it makes sense. Just a couple people down here, you know, sore about it. But uh, West Jones will make the playoffs either way. Yeah. So what are you doing tonight? We're doing uh, Bay Springs and, and Laurel, and, and pretty interesting. Uh, Northeast Jones is on the road, so we're, we're doing a, a local game. But, you know, Bay Springs has been playing for 87 years. Laurel's been playing for 113 years. They're 25 miles apart, and they've never played a game as far back as the records go. So never? Pretty pretty interesting, ever. Wow. So was this one that was originally scheduled, or was this scheduled to fill a void because of other cancellations? Yeah, it was to fill a void with one of the JPS schools. And, and that's every team in that district. See, there's three teams that are out in Region 3-5-A. And so there's only five teams competing for, for four playoff spots. Everybody just kind of plugs some non-conference games in there. All right, tough to be the odd man out if, uh, if that's, the, uh, that's the case. Let's, um, let's turn the page to, uh, to Southern Miss. They uh, get back after it against Rice. Uh, Southern Miss went on the road, faced a really good Liberty team last week, and uh, Liberty won. Uh, we got really pulled away late in that ball game. They hang 50 on, uh, on Southern Miss. Uh, another crazy week in Hattiesburg. Does it feel like things have settled down at all? They do. Um, some more stuff came out. We had Jeremy McLean on the Eagle Hour Wednesday, and he told us that Scotty Walden had approached him a few days back and kind of told him the situation. And of course, Jeremy, you know, um, told Scotty that he would, you know, be interviewed for the Southern Miss job just like the other candidates and. Uh, but, you know, gave his blessing that Scotty needed to move on. And so they had a team meeting on Tuesday. And, and so a little more light came into that situation. And it's just the Jeremy, you know, just told us, he said it was just a really awkward situation all the way around. But he was excited uh, for Scotty and the next opportunity made total sense. I think for the players, Tim Billings now, um, who coached them last game against Liberty, he's the only guy um, that that is on the original Jay Hobson staff from 2016. And, I think you know, he said in a press conference earlier this week that brings some solidity to the team. And, you know, they, they responded well last week. You look at that score, and we really didn't talk about it Tuesday because of the stories and stuff. But Southern Miss was down 35-7 at the half. In the first half, there was a few things that went the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles were on the wrong end of the stick on, and uh, they returned to kickoff. He got called back, and Southern Miss came back and scored 21 unanswered. And 
you know, mid third quarter, they're, they're trailing seven, you know, on the road at Liberty, 35-28. And then, you know, Liberty kind of pulled away. But, you know, Tate Watley, uh, unfortunately got a concussion on, on the last offensive play of the game for Southern Miss. And he scored five touchdowns last week. He won't be available tomorrow. Um, but you see this offense, they continue to, you know, improve week by week. And we've talked about how, you know, bad that the rushing attacks have been, um, over the last few years. Southern Miss, the first team to rush for over 200 yards against Liberty this year. So that's something to build on tomorrow against Rice. In terms of who's available, uh, so if Tate Watley's out, do we know if Jack Abraham is back this week? Jack Abraham is back. Tim Jones is back, which is huge. Uh, I, I think that the Eagles are, are going to air it out. I mean, you know, if if you're Matt Kubik and, and the coaches on that staff and um, probably understanding at this point that you won't be at Southern Miss next year, throw every single card you got on the table, let it rip, and I, I think that's what they'll do, especially adding Jones and Brownlee on the field at the same time. Yeah. Did um, did, did Tim Billings fill in as the uh, head coach last week? Yes, he did. Okay, so so in some ways, it's not like it's super new this week because you had the exact same thing last week. Just you don't have Scotty Walden involved at uh, at any level. And just just circling back for a second to the the Scotty Walden thing with with Jeremy McLean, and yeah, it feels like both of those guys like communication was important there, and and they were kind of open with each other. You certainly understand Jeremy McLean's stance. I mean, he wasn't going to offer this job to Scotty Walden right now without going through the interview process and kind of figuring out what's out out there. I mean, is this just simply for, for Scotty Walden, you know, b- because of the unknown and maybe reading the room and going, I mean, I might get the job, but probably not going to get the job. It was kind of a burden hand thing for him. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, especially when, you know, the news came out about what Southern Miss has resources available for the next head coach. I think that was part of it, a, a lot of it. Uh, obviously, you know, Austin P had already reached out. Jeremy told us on the Eagle Hour Wednesday that Austin P did not include him in that conversation whatsoever. And so first time he had heard about that is when Scotty came to him directly about it. Um, but yeah, it's just hmm. one of those things where, you know, Walden's got three months uh, to get a staff and before Austin P plays their first game in mid February. And so, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And again, you know, as a player, it stinks so bad. Uh, second time this year it's happened, but. Seems like they've had a really good week of practice, and you know, just uh, happy. I said this Tuesday, but if Southern Miss wins tomorrow and and Louisiana Tech beats UAB at home, Southern Miss is tied for first place in the West. That's wild. <laughs> it is wild. It it really is when you look at this Southern Miss team and where they are and what it's going to be. So Rice playing just its second game of the season. Southern Miss looking for its second win of the year. What's important tomorrow? I mean, you, you said you think Southern Miss airs it out, just going to do the best they can and kind of see what happens. So what w- what's important tomorrow? It's going to be a battle of the secondaries. So Middle Tennessee is not a good team in Conference USA. They're 2-5, lost some really bad ones. They put 330 up passing last week against Rice, and uh, I, I expect Matt Kubik to attack the secondary pretty good. Uh, on the flip side, Southern Miss needs to contain Mike Collins. He's a he's a transfer quarterback from TCU. Back in 2018, he beat Baylor. Um, he, he beat Kansas State. Started four games in 18, and he threw four touchdowns against Middle Tennessee last week. Southern Miss looked like a team last week that had not played in three weeks, especially in the secondary. And their tackling was pretty bad in the secondary, and the angles they took, and and uh, that's going to be a thing 
Collins can can possibly exploit it tomorrow. Uh, so you know, I expect there's, there's going to be some scoring in this game, uh, but it, it's just hard to to imagine with Jack Abraham back and Tim Jones and, and Brownlee out there, and then with Frank Gore Jr. in the back and some of those other guys with Mayberry and D. Baker. I, I feel like the Eagles will score uh, enough tomorrow. It, it's but it, I think Bryce will score too, just because of the state of the Southern Miss defense. Luke, last thing for you, only about 30 seconds or so left. If Southern Miss can get a win tomorrow against Rice, doesn't the schedule set up where it feels like there's an opportunity for them to go on a little bit of a run to close out the year with North Alabama next week and then Western Kentucky, who's only got one win, and then I guess probably a little more difficult against UTSA in the the regular season finale? It's backloaded. You feel like you can win three in a row, but then you're looking at UTSA, UAB, UTEP, and FAU, all of which have winning uh, records down the stretch. So just focus on this one, maybe get two more, and then try to see what happens in late November. Yeah, and I forgot about the rescheduled games. I was just looking at kind of an abbreviated schedule on the uh, the Southern Miss website. So um, I guess it's home games. Uh, Rice and then North Alabama for the next two weeks. Got to try and get a get one in the, uh, the left-hand column tomorrow against the Owls in Hattiesburg. Game is on ESPN3. Kicks off at 2 o'clock at the Rock. Luke, enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much. You too, guys. See you later. Hey, did you guys notice that big yellow, orange, warm, fireball-y thing up in the sky today? You know, the, the sun? I thought you were about the president. Go ahead. <laughs> what? What? Did you say about the president? I thought you were about the president. Go ahead. Oh, you just heard orange and checked out? Yeah, orange fireball-y thing, yeah. No. Oh, how nice was it to see the sun today? It was it's nice. Been gray for like four week, or four days. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, going to be a nice day for uh, college football in the southeast tomorrow. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Friday afternoon. Before we talk with Will, we were kind of bouncing around some of the games in the SEC. Not making picks yet, just kind of some storylines and kind of some general thoughts. And we're talking about LSU and Auburn. And we talked some about Bo Nix. Auburn, you know in the past when you watch Auburn, they get off the bus, they walk into the stadium, you're like, man, that looks like a good football team. And then it just feels like they've got athletes all over the place. Like their offensive line is just kind of big and dirty and nasty. And they got some horses on the defensive line. And they've got a kicker that scares you to death. And they've got linebackers that look like those fire breathers. And usually got a pretty a couple of pretty decent guys in the secondary. They just don't have that. And even at wide receiver, where it's really three players, right? I mean, it's it's Seth Williams first and foremost. He's the leader and the guy that can absolutely kill you. And then they've got the uh, why can I not think of his name? The track star, Schwartz, Anthony Schwartz. And then there's one other guy. And even those three don't really scare Maybe they don't scare you because of Bo Nix. It's just as a different Auburn team, and I don't understand how. I don't understand why. I'm sure you've got a theory, hey, Dad, other than the fact that you're anti-Gus Malzahn. I'm going to start calling. I, I came up with a name. I feel like you know if you want to be a, a true hot take artist, you've got to mm-hmm. give everybody you hot take on a name. I'm going to start calling them Fraudburn. Fraudburn. 
No? Okay. Yes? Maybe? All right. Well, anyway. eh, okay. <laughs> Not my best work. Um, but I think you know, they, I was they, all they, set they, last week post game to roll out uh, a train is bigger than a bus. Oh, I, that would have been good. That would have been really solid. Except um, for the fact that, you know. Hey, you know what it is, though. It, honestly, they're bad up front. That's the problem that, with Auburn. That's it. Say, they have the same problem Mississippi State does. Mississippi State has talented players, but they can't block anybody, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So what about LSU? What do we believe about LSU now? Do, do we yeah, believe yeah. anything different about LSU than we did two weeks ago? LSU sitting there 2-2 two and two overall, 2-2 two and two in the – obviously 2-2 two and two in the SEC. Home loss to Mississippi State. Smoked Mandy, 41-7. Lost 45-41 in a shootout to Missouri. Postponed against Florida. And then they beat South Carolina 52-24. to A lot of people pointing to LSU. I mean, Quinn even told us last week, LSU going to turn the corner today. And I'm not disagreeing with that. You know, maybe maybe LSU's win and the way they did it last week against South Carolina is the turning point. Playing a bunch of young guys, starting to get a little bit of experience and whatnot, and they look like a different team down the stretch. But they've got a loss to a Mississippi State team that has struggled since, a loss to a Missouri team that's good but not great, a win over a very average South Carolina team, and a win over a terrible Vanderbilt team. So should we believe that LSU turned the corner last week? No. No, but these are also – I mean, these are two not great teams playing each other. I think LSU is better than them. That's the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm going this route. Okay. You know, if, if, if LSU was playing somebody else – if LSU was playing Florida this week, I would tell you that Florida's going to win. Uh, if Auburn was playing Mississippi State this week, I'd probably tell you that Auburn's going to win. But because they're playing each other, I think LSU's just a little bit better, uh, and I, that's why I think they're going to win. I don't, I don't know that LSU's turned a corner, and we, I don't think we're going to know that. We may not know that until the end of the year. We may have to look back and say, okay, South Carolina is where that happened because it's LSU. They should be winning these games. You know, Outside of Alabama, everything on the schedule, they should be at least in the game with. But is there anything that LSU could do tomorrow to make you change your mind about them? If Finley has another big game and, and Orgeron comes out and says, okay, maybe we do need to make this change. And then defensively, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what I can take from them defensively because Auburn's not very good offensively. So, Porky, is there anything that LSU can do tomorrow that can make you really start to believe in them this year? Uh, just win and win comfortably. Uh, that that would do it. That would make me think they have turned a corner if they show that they are significantly better than Auburn. I have no faith in their ability to do that. However, if they go out and they punch them in the mouth early and cruise to a win, then I'll start believing. But I, I don't believe in them just yet, and I'm ready to see uh, – if Bo Nix can continue to play a little bit better against a defense that he should have success against. And LSU so far has shown you that they have a defense that you should have success against. So, important game for them tomorrow. Remind me. Borky, please make a note and remind me that we have to return and talk later today about Ed Ogeron. Bruce Feldman's got the new book out called Flip the Script. Dennis Dodds was tweeting some excerpts. A little revisionist history going on in that one. We need to talk about it.
sandstorm on a Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, glad to have you along for the ride. We'll remind you about the ceasefire text line in just a little bit. Right now, though, we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our good friend Bruce Marshall joins us right now. You know Bruce from the Gold Sheet. You can always get his picks at uh, Don Best, at Don Best Gold Sheet, and can usually read some pretty darn interesting writing at uh, at goldsheet.com. What's the cover story this week, Bruce? Yeah, it's Rich. Uh, we talk about these big NFL point spreads, and if this uh, Chiefs-Jets game uh, gets to 20 like it was earlier, uh, it'll be only, what, the fifth time in the last decade, and it, that hasn't happened much in NFL history. But we write a little bit about the history of that big NFL spreads and upsets, and I recall an earlier Jets-Chiefs game that I actually remember from 1968 uh, when Joe Namath was around. So it's all on that cover story at goldsheet.com. When when have you updated your business card to a syndicated columnist as well? <laughs> well, maybe I should. I mean, they run my. I write some stuff for Vsin too, and I'm in their points spread weekly each week, and uh, we run some stuff in New York Post as well. So, uh, yeah, a little bit here and there, sure. Yeah, I, I thought I saw a byline in the New York Post this week. Uh, that, that's pretty cool. Hey, let, let's just jump into these games involving uh, the SEC. You want to follow Bruce on Twitter? You can do so at Bruce A Marshall. I'm so intrigued by LSU-Alabama. And, and we were talking about this just uh, just before the break a few minutes ago. Auburn hasn't – I'm sorry, LSU-Auburn. I think I said LSU-Alabama. LSU-Auburn. Auburn hasn't done really anything that's that impressive. And if not for the referees, probably uh, a couple more games in the loss column. There are people that are saying, okay, LSU turned the corner, but they just beat an average South Carolina team. What do we make of this where LSU is a two-point favorite on the road against Auburn? Yeah, it is kind of a crossroads. It has that feel. Um, and, uh, you know, Auburn, yeah, I mean, it's been uh, the referees have helped them out in a few of these games for sure. Here's the angle I want to focus upon here, though, Rich. Um, the total on this game, 65. Uh, it might be betting it down to 64 or so, some today. Um, if you go down uh, to uh, uh, to some of the sports books in your state. Um the last four years in this series, they haven't got close to this. They haven't gotten over 50. Last year, that historic LSU offense, uh, this game only landed 23-20. It's a pretty good uh, Auburn defense last year, though. You go back, the history of this series, there's 54 games they've played. And they have exceeded this total of 64 or 65 just once, just Ooh. once in 54 all-time meetings. And that once came five years ago when Les Miles won this game 45-21 over Gus. But uh, historically, a very low-scoring series. What you saw, what you're seeing here at Auburn, now Gus always tries to establish the run, but you know, um, more so now this year. I still don't think he's that confident in Bo Nix. This is Tank Bigsby's offense, so that's what they're trying to do first. And you look at LSU last week and uh, with Vincent in the game, or Finley in the game the first time, and they only – uh, passed 21 times with him as opposed to about 44 per game when Brennan was in there. Uh, a a, a SEC-wide and I think college-wide slowdown of some of the offenses here. They're running the ball a little bit more. The breakneck pace, you're not seeing it as much. So definitely I'm recommending under in this game tomorrow uh, where we lean to LSU in the forecast 30-23 to 23 in the gold sheet. But I think under is the call here. 
All right, so uh, I guess I'm looking at 63.5 right now, but even with that extra half point from what you were talking about a second ago, it sounds like that makes a lot of sense. The other early game, or I guess the early game involving SEC teams, number five Georgia on the road against Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, Joey Gatewood going to get the start at quarterback. Really felt like they even took a step back from as bad as they've been. Another step back offensively uh, last week against Missouri. Just completely inept. Uh, Georgia big favorite on the road, 17 points. Kentucky's defense is not bad. I think the total's still too high here. No, we're not talking about a total like the uh, LSU-Auburn game. Uh, last year, these teams only got to 21, and all the points were scored by Georgia. Gate went in, did not, he does not look that comfy there, but neither did Terry Wilson. And I think, you know, looking back, even two years ago when Kentucky won 10 games with Wilson, that was Benny Snell's team. Heck, they were doing direct snaps to Benny Snell part of uh, two years ago. So Wilson was just sort of an, a facilitator to get the ball to Snell. And last year, Lynn Bowden took over, and that's when Kentucky's offense moved. So I don't think they're going to miss Wilson. I don't think Gatewood's going to be that any any worse. But the whole thing with Kentucky is they've got to get plays from their defense, and that's what we saw uh, in the wins a few weeks ago over Mississippi State and Tennessee. Defense made the plays. So the key is going to be Stetson Bennett avoiding that. And I think you saw Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou last week develop a game plan that took Kentucky's big play defense, took those ball hawks out of the game. It was short yardage. It was running the football around tree, throwing short. Let's see if Bennett can do that. I think Georgia wins. I don't want to lay this spread, though, on the road. I'd like to under a lot more here. 19-10, to 10, our score forecast, Georgia defense all the way here. Unless there's some real turnovers here, this game's going to land under, I think. 19-10? to 10. What is this, 1994 all over again? I know. You look at... It looks like 1944 watching Kentucky play sometimes, Rich. I mean, that's yeah. uh, offense is back to the Stone Age. I, I and we know Georgia's playing some defense, so uh, I, I think this one's lower scoring as well in Lexington tomorrow. 64 is the total in Nashville mid-afternoon game with Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. It's up to 17 and a half. Ole Miss, the favorite in the ball game, going to be absolutely beautiful uh, for this game. It's a pretty big number in both uh, terms of total points and the uh, and the spread. What do you think, Rebels and Commodores? Another under here, and this is mostly because I can't see Vanderbilt contributing much to an over. They brought Todd Fitch up from La Tech to install the spread, but they got a true freshman quarterback in Ken Seals who can't throw anything other than dinks. And uh, their offense is just, they have geared it down. They just can't move the, the, the ball to sticks. And, uh, I mean, they're scoring under 10 points per game. That ain't going to cut it. Um, uh, Ole Miss, not quite. The, I mean, uh, it's, they're going tempo, but they even uh, among many teams, slowing it down a little bit here. Yeah. When Lane has a chance to step on somebody's throat, uh, he will do it, I think. He, the schedule's been pretty tough for Ole Miss, but now as a team, he might be able to beat. We saw him do that at uh, FAU in recent years, and I think Ole Miss gets him. But I also like the under here still be pretty good as well. 36-13, Ole Miss, kind of an under slant, though, for me in the SEC this week. Yeah, and well, and uh, I'm curious if you're going to stay with that as we go to Mississippi State and Alabama. Huge spread in this game. It looks like it's settled at about 30 and a half. Alabama favored, but the total again is 64, which means Mississippi State is going to have to contribute something offensively. I would assume. Yeah, and I think that's too high as well. I mean, uh, one thing Mississippi State's been doing, we've been talking about Leach's offense is really grinding to a halt. He may he may start the uh, you know the true freshman Rogers uh, tomorrow. Uh, the freshman Rogers up against uh, Alabama after Costello's struggles, but the Zach Arnett defense has not been been performing that badly. And uh, this is the Rocky Long San Diego State influence, and uh, they've act, they rank 15th nationally in total defense. So, it hadn't been the defense's fault with the Mississippi State. Uh, it's been the offense's fault. Um, uh, Waddle is out. I don't think this will slow down Alabama any, but just in case, 
Mac Jones didn't throw a touchdown pass last week. He still threw for almost 400. Uh, they got other receivers there. But, I mean, again, like you said, Rick, you're asking Alabama to do almost all the work to get this one over the total. And I'm not sure it gets there. 45-10, our score forecast, will take them. We'll draw the line at five TVs. But we'll also look under in this one. That's crazy. I mean, even if you added one more touchdown, you're still looking at uh, under the total if it was 52-10, to 10, uh, which uh, could be, uh, I don't think, uh, beyond the realm of possibility. So that's a bunch of unders. We'll see if you stick with that. Arkansas and Texas A&M. Texas A&M's kind of owned this series, but Arkansas has looked like a different team this year under first-year head coach uh, Sam Pittman. Aggies almost a two-touchdown favorite. Yeah, like uh, Arkansas a lot here, Rich. They've uh, the Razorbacks have covered every every game they played this year. We're not too, not as much the under here, but I think this number thirteen and a half now is too much. Sam Pittman, we've talked about him before, and I think all the guys, even the guys in the SEC network last week, were talking about the new SEC coaches. And Coach Chizik had a good point. He said, "Yeah, he knew how good a coach Pittman was, but he thought, boy, this is a real rebuild he's got on hand at Arkansas, and it's going to take a while." Uh, well, he has got this team more organized. He made two brilliant coordinator hires in Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles. We, you saw Ole Miss what, uh, how the, the Odom defense, uh, uh, threw a monkey wrench into, uh, Lane's offense. And, uh, uh, the offense is now going a little more full throttle here with Felipe Franks, Florida transfer. He hasn't been making many mistakes, and that's just what Kendall Bryles wants. They got a shot in this game, and Ken, Kellen Mund, after the uh, Florida game, that looks like the outlier. He didn't play too well against Mississippi State the next week. Too many points here. We added Arkansas 27-26 in the goal sheet. Because it's a key release, we we, uh, we moved the score a little bit. But uh, plus 13.5, absolutely with Arkansas. I, did I just hear you say wrong team favored? Uh, yeah, if you want to, you want to go. Well, no, A and M should be favored, but I'll, I'll walk on the wild side. I'd play it. I'd play a money line in Arkansas, and I'll definitely play it stronger plus thirteen and a half for sure. Wow, really interesting stuff there. One other game quickly as we uh, we wrap things up. This uh, Missouri Florida game down in the swamp. Florida hadn't played in a couple of weeks. Missouri pretty impressive so far again under a first year head coach and Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, Drinkwitz, like we mentioned, I mean, he, he, he crafted a very shrewd game plan at, against Kentucky last week. It was all round tree running between the tackle stuff, short passes by the Zellick, the redshirt freshman. He just didn't want that those ball hawks in the Kentucky secondary to get involved. He could afford to do that because Kentucky's offense is so pedestrian the other way. I don't think that works in the swamp. Old Florida is well-rested, if nothing else. Kyle Trask has put up some big numbers this year. And uh, uh, Ole Miss, I mean, uh, Mizzou can't play that sort of a, a short yardage game this week. They fall behind, they're in trouble. They've only played one road game and they got ripped to Tennessee. We're taking Florida, 31 12 uh, tomorrow in the swamp. Bruce, thanks as always. Love our conversations. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Rich. Take care. All right, so some interesting picks from Bruce Marshall. Under was the theme for Bruce in the SEC this week. He said under the 42-and-a-half, 43 in Kentucky, Georgia. Under the 64 in LSU-Auburn. Under the 64 in Ole Miss-Vanderbilt, but he liked Ole Miss as well. Under the 64 in Mississippi State-Alabama. He also liked uh, Texas, uh, He liked Arkansas. Liked Arkansas and said a gold sheet key release was Arkansas 27, Texas A&M 26. Also said that they had adjusted the line a little bit because it was a, uh, a big play key release. But in their uh, early forecast this week, actually had Arkansas winning this game against Texas A&M and then had Florida covering at home 
against Missouri. Guys, what do you make of what Bruce had to say? Some interesting picks. I teased a spicy pick for later in the show, and now I feel kind of lame because that Arkansas over A&M spicier than the one I've got. Yeah, I'm. I'm anxious to. Uh, I'm anxious to hear what you've got when we. Uh, when it's we not. Get to I mean, it's. It's not that bad, you know. Apparently, so I feel dumb now. Because <laughs> hey, Dad, um, <laughs> your facial expression expression when he gave that score forecast twenty seven twenty six yeah. Arkansas over A and M you went whoa ho and, and I'm I'm with him on I think that Arkansas can will cover that spread, but to pick them to win is a that's I mean. At some point, though, I mean, they've beaten State, they've beaten Ole Miss, they should have beaten Auburn. At what point do we have to say, yeah, they're actually pretty good, they can win some of these games? Man, they maybe had Georgia on the ropes, too. Yeah, maybe it's this for, Well, for a half. Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, for hey, a half. Con- considering the talent deficiencies between the two, that's pretty significant. But let's pretend he's right. Let's just say that Arkansas beats Texas A&M tomorrow. What does that do for Jimbo? I know it's a COVID year, makes everything weird, but... This was supposed to be the year. Remember, this was the year Texas A&M competes for a national SEC championship, which makes you compete for a national championship. This was supposed to be that year. They had a schedule that set up for that as well, but everybody was pointing to 2020. That's when Jimbo will have A&M competing at the highest level. And if they lose to Arkansas to fall to 3-2... and two, that's got to mean something significant for them, right? Because I don't think they have the perspective yes. that the people around here have. With, with the and of course it's year one for both, you know, Leach and Kiffin. But I've noticed that fans around this state, while frustrated at times, have perspective on what this year means for their coaches. But they wouldn't have that perspective if it was year three. Now put seventy-five million dollars on these two guys after you build a five hundred million dollar stadium. It's different. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I'm going to flip it on you. Okay, I like that. So whatever it means negative for Jimbo, it's a positive exponentially for Sam Pittman. Oh, yeah. 100%. Holy cow. If they could pull this one off, because Arkansas has had some decent teams that they've lost to A&M when A&M was just average. And A&M's just kind of had the number. I mean, I would think that A&M's glad to actually have this game at home as opposed to, you know, playing it once again in uh, in Dallas because of COVID. And, and, and this may end the whole Jerry's World Dallas every year thing for this series. But, um, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think it would be uncomfortable for Jimbo with a loss here. The problem is, you know, uncomfortable is one thing, but you still owe him $50 million yeah. is another. I mean, we were talking about Malzahn the other day. It's, what, $21 million, and we don't, nobody yeah. wants to make that move. All the oil money in the world is not going to move $50 million yeah. out. So. Uh, is oil still at negative? I haven't looked at it. No, a it's not at negative anymore, but so it's, it's certainly not clipping along at 100 bucks a barrel. <laughs> like 40 a barrel, I think. Makes you wonder, and there's not going to be a whole lot of coaching turnover, but back on Bruce's prediction, let's pretend it does happen. I wonder if anybody's calling Barry Odom. Because that wouldn't be like the hot, excuse this word, I know people don't like it, the hot sexy name in in the coaching search. But 
I mean, the guy wasn't a slouch at Missouri. And if he takes these dudes when he's playing two stars and walk-ons sometimes and makes them one of the best defenses in the SEC, relatively speaking, you should call him, right, if you have an open position? Yeah, he's a good football coach. He was good as Memphis' defensive coordinator. He was pretty darn good at Missouri. Probably a little bit of a, uh, a quick trigger there at Missouri. But, look, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think Barry Odom can, can stay put if he's really comfortable where he is and doesn't get the job offer that he wants. If he wants to go be a defensive coordinator at, oh, I don't know, name your school, he can do that. And he'll probably have the opportunity to uh, be a head coach again, whether it's this year or next year or a couple of years down the line. Hey, good football coach, just bottom line. And, and yeah. I stand by the fact that I think right now, they obviously don't give the award out after four games. And if Arkansas, you know, put a goose egg up for the rest of the year, you wouldn't have this. But as it stands right now, that's your Frank Broyles winner for the uh, the assistant coach of the year. And I'm not even sure the voting's close. Probably at, not uh, at this point. For what it's worth at Missouri, remember he took over in a weird situation in 2016, went four and eight, but then seven and six, four and four in the league, eight and five, four and four in the league, six and six, three and five in the league, and. Not terrible. Not terrible, and it's pretty well documented. That's not an easy place to win. You you don't live in a state that produces high-profile kids at all, and you're in the SEC East when you're the second most Western team in the league. I, I mean, everything about that job, with the, the local attention not being as much it is, as it is around the SEC and the athletes that you can't really get, those are pretty good results, all things considered. You know, I, I wonder when the trend will change, and I, I don't know that it will change because the trend has been go get a hot shot offensive coordinator or or offensive minded head coach when you've got to replace a guy. Do do we get to a point where you go, okay, let's go get a defensive minded head coach and just have him hire a hot shot offensive coordinator? Maybe. There's the some places is, like, where that has worked. Who are the hot defensive coordinators right now? Yeah. Can you name them? I mean, Derek like, Mason. <laughs> Derek Mason, Barry yeah. Odom. <laughs> yeah, and say how it's worked out there. But, I mean, obviously Vanderbilt's a different different breed of animal there. Um, you know, I'm thinking here at Mississippi State with Zach Arnett, obviously not after just one year, but if he gives you two or three years like this where he's putting out top 20 defenses, yeah, he, somebody's going to offer him a head coaching job, and then it, it just becomes – you know, Pruitt, Pruitt's a good example of that, too, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to hire an offensive coordinator, and are you going to let that offensive coordinator do their job? Or are you going to have hands in the pot over there? So I don't know. Interesting uh, interesting stuff when, when you want I mean, everything changes. I mean, everything that's old becomes new again. There was a time where it was go get a defensive-minded head coach. I mean, you think back to, to when Ole Miss hired Tommy Tuberville. He was a defensive yeah. guy. Yeah. And, you know, then kind of evolved some as a coach through the years and did some different things offensively. But at his core, it was it was defense first. Obviously, Nick Saban, at his core, is a defensive guy. And it's only in the last, you know, what, three, four, five years Smart's where he has, he has flipped the script. Yeah, Kirby Smart is as well. And, you know, Kirby has not gone through that renaissance yet that Nick Saban went through in terms of let's go get a wide-open offensive coach. I mean, you, you think about Nick Saban, it really changed when he brought Lane Kiffin in. And then he goes from and, – and, and, 
you saw all the sideline shots of Nick Saban yelling at Lane Kiffin, and there have been plenty of jokes that have been made about that. But Nick Saban needed somebody like Lane Kiffin who would let stuff like that just kind of roll off of his back, who could handle that to go through the full transition of we're going to be a different team. No, we're not going to run the ball as much, Nick. We're not going to do it. You hired me to be the offensive coordinator. you got to let me be the offensive coordinator. You can yell at me all you want to, but that was a little bit of a painful process. It doesn't feel like it now because you look at Alabama's offense and they're just exploding. And Sark has done a great job calling plays, and they've got weapons all over the place, and Nick Saban has seen that it can work and you can win. And by the way, it has made Alabama really, really attractive to quarterbacks now. You know, if you think about quarterbacks at Alabama under Nick Saban, you're thinking about Greg McElroy and John Parker Wilson and uh, oh, AJ McCarron. McCarron. Chest tat. Yes. I was thinking about the guy that Nick Saban slapped on the rear end on the sideline. I just couldn't come up with A.J. McCarron's name. So that that's kind of what you thought about. And then all of a sudden it's been Jalen Hurts, dynamic offensive player. Tua Tagovailoa, dynamic offensive player. Mac Jones has turned into a pretty dynamic offensive player, certainly with his arm, and is mobile enough. I mean, he can go get you a first down with his legs if he needs to. And that has made Alabama incredibly attractive to the most decorated quarterbacks in the country coming out of out of high school. And so it's not just five-star defensive linemen and five-star offensive Meanwhile. linemen and five-star running backs and five-star wide receivers. It's, oh, yeah, five-star quarterbacks now, too. Oh, good. Great. Love and, that. And meanwhile, Georgia runs off Justin Fields. Yeah. Oh, but Jake Fro- oh. Yeah, we don't have time for that. He had one loss in his career at the time. Hey. I'm just saying. How many a guy named Kelly now? had to transfer to Missouri because he got named Lawrence when he, took when over. he got pushed to the bench. One, two. That's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, ESPN released the college football bowl game schedule today. We'll get to that. It is that time of the week, the time of the week where we welcome in Stephen Gagliano and Will East to talk high school football in the Magnolia State. We're going to do that for the rest of this 4 o'clock hour. I mentioned it to you earlier. Coming up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, we'll take a look at the uh, newly updated, released schedule of bowl games. We're going to get to Michael Borky's two questions. We also will make our picks as we do each week, and uh, we'll hope for mercy for uh, Brian Haydad and Michael Borky, who are... Just struggling. <laughs> well, Haydad's well, <laughs> struggling. Borky's life in general, in or, or okay. I I'm on the struggle bus, and Haydad is being dragged behind it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody tied a chain to his ankle and attached the other <laughs> end of the chain to the bumper, and they're just kind of dragging him along the stri- behind the struggle it's bus. It's a national lampoon's uh, scene about that, right? Haydad, hey, do you want to defend yourself, or does the record speak for itself? And, you know, you are what your record says you are. You are what your record says you are. Tonight in the uh, the Magnolia State high school ranks, we got a bunch to talk about. Big one between South Panola and Warren Central. Uh, big one down on the coast with the Iberville and Harrison Central. A resurgent Madison Central. is uh, They've got a home game tonight against uh, Germantown and a whole lot more to get into with our high school football guys. We remind you the preview show for high school football comes immediately after Sports Talk Mississippi gets started at 6, and then tonight from 10 
until 11.30. Stephen will host the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's high school scoreboard show. Boys, what is up? Well, uh, most of the games have, have been moved. Well, not most of them, but a lot of the big ones have been moved. Uh, we, Stephen and I were going through yesterday some of the big games, and we were like, oh, they're not playing that one now. Uh, they're going to move that one. And then, of course, the hurricane hit, and that moved even more games, like the D'Aberville-Harrison Central game, which I mentioned last week. I thought this was going to be the biggest game in Region 4 uh, this year, maybe in the past couple of years. I mean, this is a big game where – You've got two very good teams. This will basically decide the region. Well, they're not going to play it tonight. They're actually going to play that game on Monday at 6 p.m., so a little Monday night high school football action for you. Still going to be at Harrison Central? Still at Harrison Central from what I at Brett Farfield and Kiel. And that game was supposed go. to be between what we thought were going to be two undefeated teams and then Harrison Central upset by one win Hancock last week. So mm. that took a little muster out of it Exciting as well. Exciting game. Uh, uh Harrison Central was up by one point late in that game, and they got stopped on fourth down uh, at the 50-yard line. Uh, Hancock got the ball back, went down there and scored a touchdown. We uh, we generally do kind of take a peek back. That's uh, one of the outcomes that uh, that stood out from last week. Anything else jump out at you guys from last week that really kind of shook up the landscape? I'd say uh, Madison Central, South Panola. Region 2 is crazy. I mean, who had Clinton as the the leader of that region? You had Startville in that region. You have Madison Central. You have Warren Central. Uh, you have South Panola. Who's atop the region standings right now? It is Clinton, the Arrows, uh, doing better than all those guys right now. Uh, and South Panola, a team that had to win. They they have they've made the playoffs 18 years in a row. If they lost that game last week, they were almost certainly out of it. They won that game. I think what was it 22 to 20 something like that or uh, 12 to 10. 12 to 10. Okay. Well, not a lot of offense again for, offense. for Madison Central. So they win that game and now they uh they have to play Warren Central at Warren Central. Warren Central plays every game at home nowadays. Uh so they <laughs> have to play at Warren Central and again, it's a game where they they really need to win. It's not Quite as bad as it was last week uh, because uh, of some other teams losing, but uh, that's another big game tonight. Of Warren Central taking on um, South Panola and Warren Central all of a sudden in a little bit of a danger zone. Right. They had a chance to, I guess, potentially win Region 2 of 6A last week because they got a forfeit win over Starkville, but they lost to Clinton. And now you've got Warren Central, Starkville, and Clinton all 4-1 and one at the top of Region 2, and then South Panola and Madison Central both at 4-2 and two in the region. So one of those teams obviously is going to be left out when it comes to the playoffs, and at this point I'm not sure who that's going to be. I'm just ready to see no clue. how the, the last two weeks of the regular season shake out. All right, so that's we'll, a little bit of a, a look back, but looking to these games tonight, what's the one that is at the very top of the list? I would probably say that South Panola and Warren Central okay. game just because of how much things can change in that one region. Uh, but to go somewhere else with it, maybe Northwest Rankin at Brandon and Pearl at Oak Grove. I'll give you those two kind of in a bunch because that is another region. That's region three of 6A where you've got Petal and Brandon battling for that final playoff spot. So that, those two games tonight are going to go a long way in deciding the, the bottom part of that region. Will anything stand out for you? Uh, I would say that uh, that Brandon Northwest ranking game that he just mentioned—it's uh, not quite a rivalry game, but they're they're in the same town, so you know maybe it could develop into a rivalry game as years go on. Um, but 
Northwest Rankin has been one of the biggest surprises this season. They, yeah. they along with, I would say, D'Aberville, uh, Harrison Central certainly, and Ocean Springs, those are the four big surprises this year uh, as far as teams that are doing well. Um, but Northwest Rankin has not played a defense like Brandon's yet. Brandon, even though they have a kind of a lackluster record right now, they're no team to sleep on. They've played a lot of games close. They they uh, they were in that game against Oak Grove last week up until the final minute of the game or so. Uh, they've played some teams close. They beat Madison Central, I believe, like uh, – uh, I think that one was six nothing, six nothing, something like that. They've got a very good defense, and when you've got a good defense, you're always you always have a chance. And I I think Northwest Rankin, if they're going to have a a challenge this season, besides the game next week against Oak Grove, this is going to be it. Game that's interesting to me in the northern part of the state, Grenada, who has really kind of come on strong in recent weeks, sitting at five and two. They go to Center Hill tonight, at uh, who's 5-3 and three on the year. Those, those are overall records, not region records. Is Ga- Grenada a team that, that we need to kind of keep an eye on? They get they got the win against South Panola two weeks ago. What, what, uh, West Point. West Point. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, against West Point a couple of weeks ago. Grenada always has that team. They're a lot like Warren Central. Uh, you know, they might not do the best. They might not win the region every year, but they're going to have an upset here and there, or they're going to challenge a team that, that you, on paper, they shouldn't challenge. That's kind of Grenada's M.O. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how they do You know, now that they're moving to 6A. Uh, that's a team that you don't – some teams could easily write them off that you shouldn't. Uh, Grenada is it's something about them. I don't know. It's something in the water there. They are a tough team to play uh, no matter who they're playing. Um so I think Grenada is a, is a, certainly a sleeper in 5A football right now. And West Point's going to be watching that game closely because I believe they need a center hill loss to get them back into the playoff picture. Insanity! Who would have <laughs> thought this, folks? If them and South Panola missed the playoffs this year, Ooh. I wonder how long it's been since that happened. Uh, we'll, we'll get the crack research department on that and have to, uh, have to get back to you. Um, Another one in the northern part of the state, and, and I've kind of joked with you guys a little bit about Oxford, but they're still clipping along undefeated on the season. They head up I-55 to uh, to take on Hernando, a, a pretty decent Hernando team at 5-3 and three on the year. Oxford, I, I, I know probably the biggest challenge comes once they get to the playoffs, clinch their playoff spot last week, but they're trying to kind of keep this thing rolling and see if they can put together um, another uh, another win. They're an interesting team because they're they're getting better every week, which is what they did last year. Last year they got better every single week. The team that you know entered week one was way different than the team that entered week ten, and that's kind of what you're seeing this this year. Uh, they're so balanced. Uh, Oxford is. They have two quarterbacks who both have very similar stats. They play both of them. They have two running backs who have very similar stats. They play both of them. And their rushing and passing yardage is about the same. It's it's amazing how balanced they are. But the big thing with Oxford right now is defense and turnovers. They are causing turnovers left and right. Last week, I can't remember the kid's name. I think it's Xavier... Colton, I may be wrong about his last name. His first name is Xavier. Had three picks in that game against Horn Lake in a 39-0 win, and they had yep. more turnovers than that. I mean, they're very good on defense, uh, taking advantage of mistakes. Uh, I've got good news for West Point. What's that? Center Hill had to uh, forfeit their game because of COVID reasons, and so Grenada gets the win. Center Hill gets the loss. 
That information comes to me via our colleague Gary Darby, who hosts North Mississippi Spotlight on uh, the Super Talk Oxford station, and uh, boy, really stays in uh, into what's happening with high school football in uh, in North Mississippi. So, I guess that's a big deal for West Point, and also for Grenada, who gets the win. Certainly is. So Lafayette then plays Columbus tonight. So Lafayette then needs a win to stay in first in that region. Uh, let's see, West Point. And Columbus then, only has one win all year, right? Right, yeah, they are 1-7, so a tough year for Columbus. West Point, it looks like, would then jump above Center Hill then for that fourth playoff spot as of right now. Still, wow. still a couple weeks to go. COVID continuing to do its thing in uh, 2020. Wow. Just wreaking havoc on the schedule. Hey, there may be another couple of games we want to get to. When we come back, though, we, we got some news earlier this week. I guess it came out either yesterday or the day before. The, uh, the reshuffle from MHSAA with regard to regions. And I thought there were a couple of things that happened, especially in the north part of the state, that uh, we'll get into. Regions are going to look a little bit different. If you're a DeSoto County team, uh, you may just be able to walk to all your games going uh, going forward. Uh, if you are in Region 2 of 6A, you may be looking into uh, what it's like to uh, charter an airplane for uh, for some of the, char- the travel that's going to be involved going forward. We'll get into that coming up next with Will East and Stephen Gagliano. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Friday. This one's going to be tough, but guess this one. It's not very clear. That doesn't help. Yeah, was that recorded in a tin can? Yeah, not great. The smaller schools, you have a harder time getting their fight songs. This is uh, the current home of future South Carolina head coach Billy Napier. Louisiana? The Raging Cajuns. It's listed on the file as Louisiana Lafayette, but we can't call it that anymore. University of Louisiana. Just ask them. They'll tell you. I promise. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, also Will East and Stephen Gagliano joining us as we talk some high school football on this Friday afternoon leading into a big night. How much left in the regular season before we turn the page to the playoffs? So this is the last week of the regular season for 4, 3, and 2A, and then there's one week left of 6A, although I believe there are some teams, the way that they've had to you know, shift the schedule around, that this will be their last week of the regular season in 6A and 1A also. Gotcha. So uh, a little bit crazy from a scheduling standpoint uh, this year. Guys, I mentioned it before the break. Uh, MHSAA released uh, regions, how they're going to look for 21, 22, and 23 for those uh, those academic years. And what stood out to me was Region 1 of 6A now consists of seven schools in DeSoto County and South Panola. That is remarkable. And by the way, there's a 5A school in DeSoto County as well. And when we redo this again in three years, you're going to be looking at eight 6A schools in one county in the state of Mississippi. So there's a good chance in the future that it could just be DeSoto County. You're exactly right. I mean, that, I, my guess is that's what Region 1 will look at. And then you go to Region 2, and you've got Oxford, Starkville, and Tupelo in the north part of the state. I say north-ish. Um, obviously, Oxford and Tupelo in north-central, northeast Mississippi, and then Starkville, kind of east-central Mississippi. And then you go down and you grab several schools out of the uh, the central part of the state, the Jackson Metro area as well. Really kind of an interesting makeup for those two regions with the way they are, are set up in terms of 
almost not having to travel at all, and then significant travel. Uh, Grenada is the they're, so there are four teams from Jackson Metro, and then Grenada, and then Oxford, Starkville, and Tupelo in that region. Two of six A going forward. Yeah, it, it's it kind of crazy, but also the, there's some. I look at the good stuff coming from it, and that's Oxford Starkville. You're going to see that game every single year, which you've you've had it the past couple of years because of the little egg yeah. bowl. But now you're going to have you know two teams playing not just for that that trophy, but also for a regional win. Uh, it's also going to be fun to see you know Tupelo take on some of these teams. Uh, it's Region Two has has been the toughest the past couple of years, um, and I think they got maybe not tougher because they're losing Warren Central and South Panola, but they're they're still. A very difficult region, uh, week in week out. There's not many automatic W's that you can put on your schedule when it comes out um, in the spring. So, you know, I I would say that one went from being a little bit predictable to not predictable at all now. Yeah. So region two of six A will now be Clinton, Germantown, Madison Central, and Murrah in the Jackson Metro area, and then Oxford, Grenada. Starkville and Tupelo. Yep, that's an interesting region, and not just an interesting region for football. Obviously, football is what we're talking about right now. But um, when you think about baseball, you get some some baseball powers out of mm-hmm. that group. Some competitive basketball stuff, golf, soccer. That's uh, that's uh, a heck of a region going forward. Uh, but that's for down the line to talk about. Kind of wrapping uh, things up tonight. What's coming up, Will, on the preview show when we finish at six? Well, we're going to talk about some of these uh, changes that are going on. The to me, there was a, there was two other big changes. Uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned them yesterday, but in five A football, Region Three of five A now has Laurel, Hattiesburg, Wayne County, uh, Brookhaven. Uh, and then Natchez, South Jones, and I may be missing somebody in there. West Jones. West Jones. How could I miss them? <laughs> uh, I mean, that is that's very stacked right there. That's a, it's a very tough region. That's Region Three, you said. Region Three of Five A. Um, so yeah, Brookhaven, Florence, Hattiesburg, Florence. Laurel, Natchez, South Jones, Wayne County, and West Jones. Woo! So th- that's pretty incredible. The big seismic shift, though, for a classification. So some of these teams also move classifications around. Yeah. The big one, though, was a small one, and that's in your smaller classification, where Two A, where Taylorsville, who's been in Two A since Two A was invented. For 30-something years now, they dropped down to 1A. Folks, Taylorsville, if you're not familiar with them, if you're in the north part of the state, they're in Smith County. They are a football factory. They have made the playoffs for the past 30 years straight. This will be 31 on the calendar uh, this year. Taylorsville is a football factory. They're going to 1A football, which is already really fun to watch. Borky called his first 1A football game the other night, and it's crazy, right, Bork? There are some interesting things that happen in 1A football, I'll tell you that. I can vouch for that. Yeah, so the putter catching touchdown passes, it's amazing. Yeah. Taylorsville will now be competing with Salem Attendance Center, Richton, Resurrection, Mount Olive, Lumberton, Enterprise, and Bay Springs. Can wow. I get a futures bet on them? Is that possible? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, don't forget the uh, high school scoreboard show comes your way tonight starting at 10 o'clock. Stephen and the entire gang will be there to get you up to date on all that happened on this Friday night. Last Friday night of the regular season, 2A, 3A, 4A, and then we've got one week remaining for the other classifications. Thanks, guys.
o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us. Final week, our final hour of the work week as we go into another college football weekend. And we are glad to have you along for the ride. Don't forget, the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. There is so much going on at C Spire right now, including the fact that they now have the iPhone 12, hello, 5G. Uh, You can get an iPhone 5G on them with a uh, trade-in and a new line activation, and uh, really, really cool. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm about to do that. I haven't done it yet. It's time for uh, for an upgrade for me. I've had this one a couple of years, ready to uh, ready to take that next step. Looking forward to doing it. And uh, I'm just going to stop into my local C Spire store. You can do that, or you can go online to cspire.com and find out all the deals that are available to you. So hit us up on the C Spire text line. Right now, it's time for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. This is your month. It's truck month. Great savings. On the best-selling trucks in America for the last 43 years, that's F-Series. Check out the F-150. Also, the Super Duty and the Ranger. We're going to get to Borky's two questions coming up in just a little while. But before we do that, ESPN today released the 35-game bowl schedule. So it's not 42. I think 41-42, I guess, is what we were slated for. So there have been a few that have fallen away. But as we stand right now, 30th of October, only about a month and a half away, maybe a month and three weeks away from the start of bowl season, you still got 35 on the uh, on the list. Here they are. I love doing this with the, the names of the bowl games, like the corporate Remember, names. Remember, it's actually bowl season, too. Don't get the branding wrong on that. They spent a lot of money. <laughs> I was off that day that uh, that got released. Did you guys make fun of that? Not not as much as we should have, probably. Yeah, I, I don't think we did. I remember reading that story and go thinking, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It costs mean, money. At some point, costs money, but they decided to put in a, a press release where the time of year where all the bowl games are played is going to be called bowl season moving forward. Like, what an announcement. Mm. Next thing you know, the time of year when it's hot in June and July and August, we're going to call it summer. Do you think it'll have a little circle R or a TM beside bowl season going forward? <laughs> you know it. We've trademarked it. It gets started Saturday, December 19th with the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. Just two days later, on a Monday afternoon at uh, Brooks Stadium in Conway, South Carolina, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. couple of games on December 22nd. Now we're getting to it. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl on the blue turf. That one kicks off at 2.30 Central Time. You've also got the Boca Raton Bowl uh, that night. Uh, No word as to whether or not Lane Kiffin will drive his boat to that game uh, in his old stomping grounds. Wednesday, December 23rd, another doubleheader. 
The RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. That's a good one. It's going to be played, though, in the afternoon this year. And then that night, the Montgomery Bowl. Now, I don't know who's in charge. Um, maybe since they don't allow people at sporting events in New Orleans, it doesn't matter when you play, when you play it. But it seems like you'd play at Montgomery in the afternoon and then in New Orleans at night. That's just me, though. Yeah. Uh, they've laxed that a little bit, by the way. The Saints... Um... 3,000 people now uh, as a, another test run, and then they'll see if they can expand it more. Tulane's going to have That'll about 1,000 be... people at Yuleman on Saturday. Mm. So 3,000 people in the uh, in the Dome. That'll be one person per section. That'll be great. Oh, yeah. Jeez. The uh, New Mexico Bowl is on uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day this year, the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery. So Crampton Bowl in Montgomery get two bowl games this year. Day after Christmas, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. Not as cool as Bad Boy Mowers. Not as cool. Not even in the same realm. No. We had some fun with the Bad Boy Mowers battle for Atlantis a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. the biggest Man, that feels away. like a lifetime ago that uh, I did doesn't that. It? Wow. It's crazy that's been less than two years. Oh, no. Uh, the Cure Bowl is also the day after Christmas. Same, that's a Saturday, so a bunch of games that day. The Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, the Lending Tree Bowl, the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Uh, group think here, is there another bowl game that has had more different corporate sponsors than the Independence Bowl in Shreveport? Not that I'm aware of. No. Not a chance. Can we name them? Oh, there's no I way. I remember when it was the, the Poulan Weed Eater uh, yes, bowl. it was the uh, Poulin um, Weed Eater Bowl. It was at one point the Mainstay Independence Bowl. Yeah, 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 Mainstay, yeah. Is, uh, isn't the Independence Bowl the one that was sponsored by the fake company? No, no, I know what you're talking about. It, it was not the Independence Bowl, though. It was the uh, Walk-Ons Independence Bowl recently. That's right, yeah. Last couple of years. There was... Um, was it 3M... At one point, oh, now I don't remember that. Or, or, or maybe Mainstay was like the parent company because they gave out Sharpie markers. I just got a buddy that just that just texted me Sharpie, but it was never the Sharpie Independence Bowl. But Sharpie must have been owned may, maybe under Mainstay. Sharpie and 3M were like brands under. I, I don't know. Whatever. I do remember them giving away Sharpies one year with the Independence Bowl logo on them. Anyway. It was the uh, New Mexico Bowl that had the fake company as a sponsor. Well, temporarily, Dreamhouse Productions. In ESPN's yeah, press yeah. release, they said they had a twenty-five thousand square foot studio that didn't exist. They didn't have a business <laughs> license, and the company just wasn't real. And they sponsored a bowl out, game for a little while. We left out the Petro Sun Independence Bowl. Oh, we left out the Advocare V One Hundred Bowl, which it became for a year. The Duck Commander Independence Bowl. I forgot that. So World. Duck Commander was when um, when Duck Dynasty was all the rage, right? Yes, yes, 2014. And then the Camping World. I don't know if we mentioned that one or not. That was before Camping World really jumped into uh, all the games in Orlando. Yeah. That's a lot of different names for that bowl. And yet they continue to play it year after year. It's, now the Radiance it's only, Technologies. It's only through 90. So we're only talking 30 years they've had, it appears, 10 sponsors. Eight. If I'm reading this right, eight. 
Hold on. You've got the guaranteed rate bowl in Phoenix. It's the one they play at the baseball stadium. Military Bowl, which was presented by Northrop Grumman, is now presented by Perspecta. I'm sure that's some defense company. Uh, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl is on Tuesday, December 2019, uh, 29th, as is the Cheez-It Bowl. Isn't there an argument to be made the Cheez-It Bowl was the worst-played bowl game in the history of bowl games a couple yep. years ago? If mm-hmm. by worst you mean best, yes. It's exactly what bowl season's all about. It was TCU and Arizona State? Yeah, something like that. I think you're right. And the Alamo Bowl also on two, uh, December 29th. Now we get into the uh, games that will potentially be involving SEC teams. The oh Cal the Sanford TCU, excuse me the Sanford Independence Bowl. That's when they gave out sharpie markers. There you go. Thanks, Br. Appreciate that. All right. No longer the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. It is now the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Gross. It is no longer the, um, oh, what was the mortgage company? The mortgage company in Nashville. It's no longer the Franklin American Music City Bowl. It is now the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. That's right, yeah. That was after last year. I remember getting an email about, hey, it's going to be something different next year. And I was just like, I don't care. Uh, So both of those will have SEC teams. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic in Arlington. And the L.A. Bowl at uh, the new stadium in Inglewood. New Year's Eve, the Armed Forces Bowl, AutoZone Liberty Bowl, and the Texas Bowl. New Year's Day, Birmingham Bowl, the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I always assumed it was VRBO. I think we all did until they sponsored a bowl game last year, and all the commercials were for Verbo. So the bad branding decision. Yeah, Yeah, really, terrible brand. Just go with what people are saying. Get your uh, two semifinal games as well: the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl that day, January second. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Outback Bowl, PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Capital One Orange Bowl, and then the College Football Playoff National Championship game at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami on Monday, January eleventh. That is your college football fix. With you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. That segment for which you wait the entire week, Michael Borky digs deep to ask two questions. Ole Miss, uh, heavy favorite in Nashville tomorrow. They absolutely must do what if they want to beat Vanderbilt in Nashville tomorrow? Hmm. You go first, Borky. Uh, just play clean early. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a team that you should be significantly better than. Uh, I know defensively they've, Ole Miss has problems, but they have not seen a team like Vanderbilt yet. Uh, they're historically bad. And they're coming off of COVID issues on their own. It's a bad football team. Just show up, play clean football, and, and get out of there. That's all they have to do to win. They don't have to do anything extraordinary. Don't turn the football over. Just play clean, and you'll win handedly. Yeah, I'll I'll generally stick with that idea. But I'll say get off to a fast start. 
and it's not just getting off to a fast start. they got to play with a lot of energy. Lane Kiffin talked a little bit about this on his call-in show last night. They came out flat as a pancake against Arkansas. No energy, no excitement, whatever. They've got to play with the same level of intensity that they they have when they play a team that's ranked in the top 10 or the top 15. They played hard against Florida. They played hard against Alabama. They played hard against Auburn. Those are all games they lost, but they played hard and like in, enthused and engaged in those games. They didn't do that against Arkansas. They, they can't come out flat against Vanderbilt. they got to come out and play with energy and purpose and get off to a fast start. Hey, Dan? Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'll repeat myself. When, when, when you're playing a team like Vanderbilt, you can't let them hang around. So Ole Miss needs a couple of scoring drives early in the game. Make it 10 nothing. make it 14 nothing. At that point, it's, it's, it's a hole that Vanderbilt's going to have a lot of trouble digging out of. Considering the spread and what most people think about this game, probably similar answers, but what can they absolutely not do if they want to win tomorrow? Eh, no no self-inflicted errors. They can't go out and turn it over and give Vanderbilt a chance and, and make them believe that you know that not only they can be there and begin the game, but make them believe that they can win the game. I mean, look, against Arkansas, I mean, Ole Miss had a chance to win the game at the end, and they turned it over seven times. If you give Vanderbilt life like that, then you give them a chance. Absolutely cannot go out and play sloppy and turn the football over. I think it's pretty simple on that front. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, similar answers, force it. Just Matt Corral early in the game, uh, and he was better last week. I know that the stat sheet says two interceptions. One was at the very end of the game. He made better decisions against Auburn than he did against Arkansas. Do the same thing. Don't force it because you don't have to. Not this week. Maybe down the road when you're playing Texas A&M or LSU or Mississippi State, you have to take some chances to win the game. You don't have to take a single chance tomorrow. Just don't force anything. If it's not there, throw it out of bounds, tuck it and run. Just don't force anything because you don't have to. I think you just, like Richard said, you got to play clean. You know, just you can't you can't stay off a of schedule. You don't want to be looking at second and fifteen because of false starts or anything like that. If, if Ole Miss plays a clean game, they're going to win pretty easily. Mississippi State, a heavy underdog in Tuscaloosa tomorrow. They absolutely have to do what if they want to have a chance and pull the upset tomorrow. Take full advantage of their Second Amendment rights. That might be the only way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what the answer is here. Obviously, they can't turn the ball over the way they've had. I think Costello is going to start. I've come to that conclusion. So, a fast start. They've got. They've got to see. I've used that basketball analogy before. Of you seeing the ball go in the hoop, State has got to see a drive end in a touchdown. If they could do that in the first quarter, maybe they could find a way to hang around for a while. So, the fast start is is crucial, though. Um. I mean, goodness gracious! I, I, I'm tempted to pull out the smart aleck card and and you know do the score more points, but it's not score more points; it's just score points. Period. Yeah. But but I'm I'm going to I'm going to skip on that, and I'm just going to say that for Mississippi State to have any chance in this game, they have got to get an inordinate amount of pressure on Mac Jones and just force him in decisions into decisions that he hasn't made all season long. I think he's only thrown two picks all season. Maybe it's three. He's just been pretty close to flawless at quarterback. And for Mississippi State to have a chance, they're going to have to force Mac Jones 
into making throws where he's uncomfortable, have him running for his life. And, and I know they got to score and they haven't done that, but, I mean, if you just assume that, okay, somehow they get the offense going, then to actually get a win, they're going to have to do it with their defense. And like you both have alluded to, I mean, tomorrow is a significantly tall task for Mississippi State, but depending on who you play, quarterback doesn't really matter. Be willing to have your drives go four and a half yards at a time. Forget forcing it. Just like we mentioned with Matt Crow and Ole Miss, different animal here. If Alabama's going to stick with what everybody else has done and drop eight back into coverage and they're going to give you four and a half yard completions at a time, well, then score on a 15-16 play drive. That's fine. If you try to force it down the field against this defense and this secondary, you're not going to be competitive. So if they're giving you four-yard little hitch routes and stuff like that, just take it and don't force the ball downfield and turn it over like you've done all season. On the flip side, what can they not do if they want to be competitive or or try to pull the upset tomorrow? Hey, Dad, can I jump in front of you here? I mean, I guess. I want to go full-on double negative. They can't not score. Right. I'm done. Okay, then. Fantastic. Uh, Compelling and rich. (laughs) Smells of... Well, I mean, I can elaborate if you want me to, but it's (laughs) pretty... We're good. Given what they've done offensively recently, the one thing they absolutely cannot do if they want to win or be competitive... They can't not score. You're like that guy on the text line we hate. Yes, I understand that. But I think there's a little more credence to it now than there is at times. Eh, maybe not. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, hey, Dad's going to uh, give us more insight. Well, Borky's answer of what they must do is sort of mine for what they cannot. They can't, they, they can't be impatient. They, you know, If Alabama's, like you said, if Alabama's going to let you chip away, you got to try to beat them by you know death by a thousand paper cuts. You're not gonna you're not gonna take the head off. So you just got to bleed them to death. They've got to to take those 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 short passes. They've got to run the football when they can, and they have to just accept that because as soon as you start trying to force the ball, Alabama's superior athletes are going to make plays on you. And then of course the other thing they can't do is they can't continue to play on the offensive line like they've played the last three weeks. Five have got to beat three. Period. Otherwise, everything else we're talking about is irrelevant. Okay. Remember what Cole said about it doesn't matter what three are rushing. Me, you, right. and me and you three, and one other guy should be able to block three no matter what. Yeah. I feel good if Cole was with us. To be honest with you. Yeah, it, much better. It's for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And now the problem is for, for Mississippi State, Alabama is putting out three really good defensive linemen. But you got to block them. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Argument against a fast start for Mississippi State. Have an opening drive that takes 10-plus minute, then ends on a score. Dominate time of possession. That I mean, is Getting what, up would be a fast start for me. Yeah. I don't care how they do it. Flashes of what uh, a little military college in Charleston, South Carolina did to Alabama a few years ago. Now, they didn't win the game. They ended up getting blown out. But you remember that first half when the Citadel went to Tuscaloosa. They just said, you can't score on us if you don't have the football. Therefore, we're going to take every second on the play clock, run it up the middle, 
and take every second off the play clock again, and you can't score on us if we do that. And it worked for them for a little while. MSU has not held a lead in Tuscaloosa since 2008. It's been a minute. Yeah. I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me who scored the touchdown. And I'll take Anthony Dixon off. It's not him. Uh, Derek Pegues. No, no, it was uh, Jamail Smith. Hmm. It was right there on the tip of my tongue. It was his next guess. Mike in Oxford says maybe State can get Alabama's defensive signals. (laughs) This one says, oh, goodness, help me. My heart just broke when Haydad said KJ is starting. I'm not reporting that. I'm just that's what I feel. That's a that's a hunch. Uh somebody says has the Las Vegas bowl been canceled? I understand it has an SEC tie in. It was not on that list that uh, ESPN rolled out earlier today. All right, we gotta make some picks. We will do that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. These will be your Pearl River Resort picks of the day. We'll do that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Got a great text on the C Spire text line. Hey, Richard, a missed field goal is the only reason Ole Miss has a win. I was just thinking how good of a point that is. You know, because making and missing field goals really isn't part of football. I mean, if the Buffalo Bills hadn't missed a couple of field goals, they would have won two Super Bowls. If Florida State hadn't gone wide right three times... Miami wouldn't have won three games in that series against the Seminoles. If Artie Crosby and oh, never mind, sorry. Yeah, and you could make Why? an argument they're a bad Why? they're a bad officiating mistake away from two. I mean, you know, yeah. not part of the game though. Sorry for the Artie Crosby reference. My bad. It was uncalled for. Try to be try to be your friend, and this is how I get treated. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Uh, let's see. Let's, uh, shall we make some picks? Let's do it. We got any music for this, Borky? Um, I, I can give you some music. Uh, maybe not. We don't have to. Here are the games we've got this week. George is a 17-point favorite against Kentucky. Let me make sure that we've got the most up-to-date lines. Yeah, George is a 17-point favorite against, uh, favorite against Kentucky. LSU is now a two-point favorite against Auburn. Ole Miss 17.5 against Vanderbilt. Alabama 30.5 against Mississippi State. Texas A&M 13.5 against Arkansas. And Florida 12.5 against Missouri. So those are the lines that uh, we will work with. And uh, the records going into this. Last week I was 2-2. Two and two, 16 and 14 for the year. Last week Borky went 1-3. He is 13-17 and 17 for the year. Hey, Dad. Last week went 2-2. Two and two. He is 10 and 20 for the year, but coming off of his best week so far. Game number one, hey, Dad, considering where you are in the standings, I will give you the honors. Georgia, 17 point favorite in Lexington against Kentucky. Yeah, I think bad Kentucky is the real Kentucky. Uh, I just don't see them being able to do anything against Georgia's defense. So give me the, uh, the Bulldogs, and I'll give the points. All right, lay in the 17. Borky, Georgia, 17-point favorite against Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to win this game 18 to nothing. 
and covered the spread there. So uh, I will go with Georgia. Early struggle, though, and talent and any semblance of offense takes over and they cover. Okay. I, uh, I'm i with you there as well. I've got Georgia picked in this one, laying the uh, the big number. So as a 17-point uh, favorite, we are all on the Georgia Bulldogs. LSU is a two-point favorite on the road against the Auburn Tigers. I said last week, if I was wrong on LSU, I was done picking LSU, I was right. And so I guess I'm just going to ride this train a little longer and see what happens. I'll lay the two points on the road with uh, LSU getting to 3-2 and two on the year. Forky? You ready for this one, Quinn? Actually, close your ears. And I'm, I'm prepared to hear about this on Sunday. All right, I, I'm prepared to eat crow on this pick. Wrong team favored. Number one, Auburn has the SEC and the officials in their back pocket because of moral corruption. But aside from that, for some reason... I think a little running back named Tank is going to have a huge day against a bad defense and some weird Auburn voodoo officials and moral corruption from the SEC is going to lead to a Tiger, the blue and orange kind, victory in Jordan-Hare tomorrow. Wrong team favored. Auburn wins outright. I thought you told me you had a hot take. That's not a, it's a two-point line. That's not a hot take. I didn't say it was a hot That's take. I said it was spicy. a spicy pick. It is a spicy pick. Wrong team favorite. Auburn wins. Taking a two-point underdog at yeah, home. Yeah, but not many people uh, okay. are, are going on Borky this is one. A, Borky is a mayonnaise is spicy kind of guy. So, mm. uh, Yeah, no way I'm taking Auburn. Fraud burn. No chance. Absolutely not. LSU wins this game. They, they, you could add another touchdown to this. I'd, I'd feel pretty comfortable. Uh, Borky, you can go first on this one. Ole Miss, 17.5-point favorite at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I think Ole Miss will cover Vanderbilt. Uh, I've, for some reason, decided to watch a few of their games this year. While the helmet they're going to wear tomorrow night is going to look beautiful, the football team will not wear it well. They're historically bad. Ole Miss is too explosive on that side of the ball. I, I suspect you're going to see three quarterbacks for Ole Miss. Uh Interesting to see what the third one is, but I think you're going to see three of them, and Ole Miss wins very comfortably against a hapless Vanderbilt team. Hey, Dad. You know, when two bad teams play each other, anything can happen. But I mean, it's what's what's the line against seventeen and a half? I mean, that's just a, that's a lot of points. Um, I'm shocked. So, I'm shocked about what I'm about to hear. Nah, I'm I'm going to take the Rebels, but I, I don't feel very comfortable confident in it. Okay. I mean, because 28 to 10 will cover for me. So, Mississippi State getting 30 and a half in Tuscaloosa against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Have you skipped two now? Because you skipped that one. You didn't give us one on that one. Me? Yeah. You didn't, you didn't pick. I'm sorry. I don't think you picked Auburn LSU either. No, he said he would never take uh, said he would Oh, take that's LSU. right. All right, well, you skipped this one. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've uh, I've got mine written down here. Georgia, I mean, LSU, and Ole Miss. It's, it's Richard in the Ole Miss game. Just put him down for the Rebels. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I've got Ole Miss. All three of us picked Ole Miss there. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So I got to go first on this one, right? I think so. Mississippi State plus thirty and a half in Tuscaloosa. Kind of struggling with this one a little bit because I could certainly see forty-two to ten. 
I could certainly see 49-17. Both of those would be covering. For some reason, this has the feel of one of those nights where Nick Saban kind of takes his foot off the gas just a little bit. I'm going to go 42-17, Bama wins. Mississippi State gets a couple of touchdowns. I'll take the 30-and-a-half points. So, first of all, if State gets 17, they should be thrilled. They should feel really good about the final month of the season, depending on, I guess, how it comes. But even in garbage time. Um, Bruce nailed my score prediction, actually. That's what I said on the podcast. I'll say it again here. I would At 30-and-a-half, I'll definitely take Alabama. I've got State losing 45-10. to 10. And, and as he said, and I can't stress this enough, I would load up on the under in this game because I don't think State's going to give up 55-plus. Okay. Yeah, no shot they give up 55-plus. Uh, Mississippi State's defense is just good. It's time to start uh, just taking that into consideration on a weekly basis. They're just good. So I wouldn't be surprised if this game is close, very low scoring early, but the lack of consistent possessions on offense is going to start wearing down Mississippi State's defense. Alabama, I think, is going to cover, but it might take them a while to do so. I feel like I'm out on an island foolishly by myself, but I'll stay there. Uh, Arkansas at Texas A&M. The Aggies are a 12-point favorite, 12-and-a-half. Is I say that's where that line is going, 12-and-a-half, I think? I see 14 where I'm looking right now. 13 and a half is where we will settle. Texas right. A&M, 13 and a half point favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm agreeing with Bruce again on this one. I think Arkansas is, is much better than we're – I think Arkansas should be 3-1. and one. They should be ranked. They're a good team. Uh, Texas A&M is a, is a good team. I think they'll win the game. But this even the last couple of years with Chad Morris there, these games have been close. So, yeah, definitely give me Arkansas and two touchdowns by, by, by all means. I'm with you. I got the hogs on this one. We'll have some separation this week, I think. I, I I admire what Sam Pittman's done, and those kids play hard for him. But I think there's a little bit of fool's gold in what Arkansas's done so far, and I think that gets exposed on Saturday. They're going to play hard, and they, they're schemed up really well. But they still, don't let the wins fool you, they still lack personnel. And I think we're going to see that tomorrow. All right. Last game we've got to pick is Florida hosting Missouri. SEC Network alternate channel. Better start looking for that one now if you want to watch this game. Florida is a 12-and-a-half point favorite at home against Missouri. I got the Gators by at least two touchdowns in this one. So I will I will take Florida and lay the points. I want so badly to pick Missouri because I think Florida's COVID issue is going to hurt them well, a little bit. do it. I can't bring myself to do it. One offense is far more explosive than the other, and that belongs to Florida at home. I'll take the Gators. I don't love it, though, because if you've got 35-plus guys that have had to isolate for two weeks before this game, that's going to harm you, but it's still pits and trask and weapons that Missouri just doesn't have. True, but look at how bad Florida's defense was against uh, Ole Miss and against uh, Texas A&M. They, they could not get stops. Missouri proved that when they play a bad defense, they can torch them. That's what they did to LSU. I'll take Missouri. Give me the points. There we go. Alright, so uh, here's how it finished. I took Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Florida. Borky's got Georgia. Disagrees with me on the Auburn-LSU game. He's got Ole Miss. He's got Alabama, Texas A&M, and Florida. And uh, Mr. Haydad 
All three of us are on Georgia. He's got LSU. He's got Ole Miss. He's got Alabama. He's got Arkansas. And he's got Missouri. So, yeah, chance for a little bit of separation uh, this week. We'll see how that plays out when we uh, get to the final scores tomorrow night. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.